KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. I'm Mark Bono. This is the Henry George Program. This show all about land use, equity, and local politics. In the program, it is the Voter Guide app. Insofar as we have on Angie Evans and Jordan Grimes of Peninsula for everyone to talk about their endorsements for this election. You can just go to the website and read their endorsements, uh, but we actually have a lot more in-depth talk about the city-by-city races, and there's a lot of cities. At the end of the show, we talk about propositions, and we're going on you know, kind of a lot of uh, deep discursions to talk about the uh, the big ideas going on in the housing world these days. So, uh, yeah, let's just, uh, let's just get into it. Thanks, Mark. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great. Uh, so, Peninsula for Everyone. Uh, Peninsula for Everyone has been around for you know, a couple couple years now, right? Or is it less than that? Yeah, a couple, couple years. We started off initially in, in 2018 as uh, San Mateo County Yimby. And then in 2019, we became Peninsula for Everyone. And here we are. Yeah, so, uh, and, I'll, and I'll say this, you know, a lot of, I mean, I, I've, I've talked to the show many times how, you know, cursed, uh, you know, all the politics are in San Francisco and other places. But, you know, Peninsula for Everyone, everyone is aligned in the good ways. Peninsula for Everyone is, a, in my mind, you know, a very good org combining equity, you know, renter interests with, you know, the vision of, uh, fighting the awful ghoulish uh, nimbies up and down the peninsula, and with that in mind, uh, they have this uh, you know nifty endorsements uh, out this year. So you can find this on the Peninsula for Everyone website. Um, I, will, I will say offhand, you know, it's it's not the only endorsement in town. Uh, I've you know if you're looking in other places, uh, you look at the East Bay for Everyone is is a good org. Uh, Cities for Everyone is a small you know small endorsement guide up in uh, San Francisco area and local stuff. And I'll say uh, Silicon Valley DSA also has Peninsula stuff. A lot, a lot of overlap, but uh, I definitely I, I might make a few notes on that as we as we go through as well. Uh, but without further ado, let's uh, kind of go you know city by city. Uh, talk about what's 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 up. Um, you know we're you know based out of the Stanford radio station. So let's kind of like talk first with uh, you know Palo Alto, but maybe first uh, Mountain View. Uh, we just had a show on last week with, with one of the candidates, but uh, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, about the four endorsements you made for Mountain View? Yeah, uh, so we're very excited about the Mountain View race. Um, there's a really good chance to sort of flip a couple seats on the Mountain View City Council. And we made, uh, as you said, four endorsements in that race. The first is Sally Lieber, a former assembly member, assembly pro tem, uh, Mountain View City Council member, you know, years and years ago. Um, Sally's been a great progressive voice in, uh, in the peninsula, um, you know, in the South Bay area. And we're, we're really excited that she's decided to, to pursue her former seat on the city council. Um, then there's also, uh, Alex Nunez, who's a friend of the show, show, uh, who's a young, uh, man of color, progressive, uh, both renter advocate, advocate against exclusionary zoning. And we're really excited to be supporting him in in his bid this year. Can I just say why I like Alex Nunez so much? You may I'll allow say it that right now. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, so I know Alex from the Mountain View Tenants Coalition. You know, we all know that like local organizing has like all of its drama, but like as the Tenants Coalition has kind of disintegrated, all the apartment buildings where he thought displacement might happen, he just started walking around and talking to everyone. Yeah. No. I. He- this was like before he had like decided he was going to run for office. And I just like, it really endeared him to me. Cause I was like, this guy is just, 
he's just walking around trying to figure out what's going on. Oh no, he's 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 great at making yeah. making alliances between Tony and all it says Mountain View of all there's so many places I'm so depressed about in the peninsula, but Mountain View, you know, high renter percentage and I see good stuff happening. I and mean, there's some real I mean, there's some real bad council people in Mountain View and they uh, you know, you know, uh, continue to to chug along, but there's some really good candidates there. Uh, so it's more of a hope than so, some places. So I don't want to be too too depressed, but I, I just see a lot of hope in Mountain View. No, I, I think you're I think you're spot on, Mark. Uh, Mountain View is by far one of the one of the cities that I'm most excited about this this election cycle, and and has so much potential. Um, back in March, they beat back Measure D, which was an attempt to uh, sort of repeal. Uh, it was known as, you know, sneaky repeal um, to, uh, you know, try and water down the rent control measure that passed back in 2016. Um, so it's very exciting that they're able to beat that back. There's also a homeless ban, um, you know, an, an RV ban on the on the ballot this year. Yeah, we're talking about local measures uh, at the end, but yeah, well, uh, so, you know, sneak ahead. No on C is going to be the uh, the endorsement, but. Uh, you know, first place since East Palo Alto to enact rent control back in 2016, and they've been fighting both uh, the landlords as well as their, you know, kind of more rental hostile council people and uh, two fronts. Uh, so it's 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 been every, it's it's been a lot of work just to kind of you know keep your their grounding here. But I think they're really building power, and they're you know I think have a pretty good uh, uh, path forward. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, that's, that's two of the can. But I mean, like, this is why it was a charter amendment. You know, people people can have made so much hubbub about rent control passing as a charter amendment in Mountain View because then you can only change it through a general election cycle. Yeah, this is why because we had a bunch of crappy council members. Apartment associations are going to try and get you to repeal anything that protects renters. Oh no, and people say that too. Like in other places, like oh, can't you just try to convince the council people? It's like no, the, the drop of the hat, they'll just you know, yeah, just you know, uh, claw it back away. And I, I, I think that's right. It's it's unfortunate, but so many council people like that's the first thing they have. Like, there's a lot of influence <laughs> the landlord lobby has in the local election, so it's it's not shocking. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, uh, talking more of the candidates of Mountain View, I, I think it's really exciting that we have, you know, I think a real radical uh, voice, a friend of the show again, uh, John Lashley, uh, you know, is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and uh, this is uh, pretty exciting. It's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a dual, like he's endorsed both by you guys when your four endorsements and the only formal endorsement of the Silicon Valley DSA. So that's, you know. That's a, a nice bit of yes. overlap. We're we're very we're very excited about John. Um, his his commitment not only to ending exclusionary zoning, um, to protecting uh, to protecting renters and keeping rent control in place, um, but also to um, to addressing carceral issues um, and issues with police. Um, though those are both um, absolutely issues that urban is should care about um that that urbanists must care about um carceral urbanism is is the strain that we don't want to see here on the peninsula and so we're very we're very excited to see someone like john who has those very strong anti-carceral instincts i think the entire slate does um but yeah john has certainly in addition to um you know ending exclusionary zoning and and protecting renters john has made that a centerpiece of his campaign as well which we're we're very excited about and rounding out, uh, Pat Cholotar is your last endorsement. Uh, yes. 
Uh, Pat Showalter uh, is is our last endorsement, and she um, was previously a council member. Uh, was voted out. Um, she she a couple did she years narrowly ago. lost? I mean, it's both Siegel and Showalter narrowly lost last time. Uh, yes. Yeah. So it's very yeah, tight race. It was. Yes, it was a very it was a very narrow loss, and Pat I think is a really well, good it example. Is it was a narrow loss, and also in that election year, it was like the anti incumbents year, like uh, uh, incumbents loss across the board throughout the region. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. I think yeah, it's it's the Mountain View NIMBY struck back, and it's I guess nice to see that you know people aren't down for the count. You know, across the board, not only the people who were knocked down come back. But we have a lot of you know new exciting energy, uh, so pretty well. And also, you know, like Pat Showalter, I have to say, I know people get really mad when somebody has a stance in the past where they're like, "Oh, well, they once said this thing and it was horrible." Pat Showalter was not on board with rent control, and now she is. Oh yeah, it's... and I think that like I, that like being able to shift your your policy platform to actually incorporate the things as the, I mean, I think residents of California have changed both renters and homeowners in terms of their perspectives on rent control. And it's really nice to see elected officials shift too. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, that's, that's politics. It's evolving. You know, it's, 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 it's great stuff. Uh, uh, you, you did not endorse. He, uh, one of the recommendations for SVDSA is Lenny Siegel, uh, you know, not one of your endorsements, I think, you know, but uh, on the record, I mean, uh, you know, friend of the show, he's been on. I think you, we know where there's disagreements as far as, you know, uh, you know, changing the single family zoning in, in Mountain View. But I, I will, I'll go on, you know, if you're looking at humane responses to displacement, you know, there's there's a mile between uh, Lenny Siegel and the people who are. Uh, you know, for the NIMBYs displacing, uh, you know, renters and being against the RV, te- uh, you know, dwellers in the city. It's, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's the, the, the real bad eggs in Mountain View. I can't stress enough how, how bad they are in my mind. Absolutely. Also, nobody and... knew this was going to be such a crowded election. You know, I think when we were talking about pre-endorsements, when everyone was talking about who they were thinking about supporting, Nobody had anticipated that the field was going to be this crowded. Oh, yeah. And, okay, so as far as kind of a meta question, boy, the system is so bad as far as it's just like uh, the meta question of who, how does this set up? You, you check out a bunch of candidates. It's the people go to the top, and then people create slates. So then you kind of – a lot of people are trying to police who's on the slate and not because if you have too many people, then your entire slate is like poisoned because then you're spreading it thin between them all. And this so- well, and in 2016, nobody wanted to be in a slate. I don't know if you remember, but like it was like everybody was like, no, 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 there are no slates anymore. There are no slates anymore. We don't want to be beholden to one issue. And this year, everybody's everybody's on a slate. It's – yeah, it's – I don't know. It's – I really wish there was a way that you would not have this vote-splitting worry because it's at once valid, but I think it's also very – it leads to some kind of real bad blood as people try to get in this very kind of tight race. And f- yeah, well, you saw that. I mean, it, you know, I, I, I really like Lenny Siegel. I will. I was not pleased to see him kind of crap on John Lashley in <laughs> that Mountain View article. Like, no, it's it's, it's, it's like I you guys actually Lenny, support all the same stuff. Come on, guys. Well, I mean, they that's they they don't though, and I, and and I do well. I, well, okay, they, they, they support they, a they lot. Do, they they support a lot of the same. Compared to Margaret Abikoga, they definitely have the same some, side. Yes. yes, you're right. And they're and closer the to the choice. same slate as him and Margaret Abikoga. So, and the, 
And if the choice was between Lenny and Margot Abekoga, I would take Lenny every day of the week oh. and twice on Sunday. Oh, yeah. But but thankfully, you have other candidates in this race who support undoing exclusionary zoning and support rent control and support defunding the police. And then you've got, you know, Lenny, who is frankly a NIMBY in the most literal sense in that he doesn't want to see fourplexes in his neighborhood or in his backyard. Yeah. Um, I mean, he shows that, and that he's a classic. You which know, is totally yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. like, yes. It's. It's, I mean, home ownership warps your brain. You know, I'll, I'll, I'm on the record of saying it. You know, he's a, I think he's a nice, humane guy, but, you know, you know, home ownership does that to you. Uh, that is true. Uh, move, moving on, uh, Palo Alto, uh, I'll say this. I mean, I think not a, whole, not a whole lot can be done within the system is my worry. And you see Palo Alto chew people up and spit them out. You know, you see, like, Adrian Fine, the current mayor, who is kind of the uh, definitely the most pol- uh, pro-housing guy. Uh, is choosing not to run again. You saw a few years ago, Corey Wolbach, uh, you know, losing the election, and I, you know, kind of, <laughs> you you can see just how you know scarred yeah. he feels. To be fair, though, Corey, I would say this to him in case he hears us. Corey, Corey lost because he didn't want to do things like be on a slate, and I think have had Corey been more public about his support for housing and renter protections, he would have won. Yeah, it's, it's, anything's possible. I just, I, Palo Alto is a hostile territory. I don't know. It's super hostile. Like, if there is anywhere in the peninsula that that mirrors San Francisco's toxicity, it is Palo Alto. <laughs> but, I mean... It, Although I mean, Palo Alto number, is toxic in different ways. <laughs> but, well, but, like, we might... But, but like, the, the yimby-nimby dynamic here is... It's so extraordinary. I mean, I told you, I said last week or two weeks ago, whatever, that I would support apartments in my neighborhood. I can't tell you how many emails I got from neighbors who were so furious with me. It's fine. I think what's real funny is, you know, up in you know SF, you get the kind of weird performative woke nimbyism and Palo Alto you don't get that they're just ghouls but they are trying to inch towards that you see like Lydia Ku uh you know who's you know realtor and just you know the most arch nimby try to do the same stuff is like oh now like this is not enough affordable housing <laughs> you know it's like oh i mean but that's the thing is yeah. her platform along with uh, the nimby the like nimby slate Paz's slate is I mean, they talk about the need for affordable housing. They talk about diversity. They say all the same things we do. And the problem is that it's, I mean, it is, it's, it's ghoulish. It's there. Lydia Ku is trying to take credit for the pre- for supporting the president's hotel, even though for those who didn't follow that, the president's hotel was a mass eviction in downtown Palo Alto in a building that would be illegal to build at this point because it is too tall. And no one's building um, and, SROs anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But it's 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 crazy because she's try, you know she's she's actually got some videos of residents talking about her being like the best renter protection, the best affordable housing person. And it's like, come on, guys! Like this is a this is somebody who I mean, these are the, our NIMBY candidates are absolutely not supporting policies that would allow for affordable housing to be constructed here. Well, not, not, not just that, but I mean, it's just it's so incredibly over the top how someone could be. I mean, she ran on the slate opposing, uh, you know, senior affordable housing. 
And then she, like, you know, just a few years later, like, tries to pretend that she is attacking housing from the left. It's like, no one believes you. Like, this is, like... No. They do, though. That's not true. This is the problem in Palo Alto, is that a lot of people do. And, I mean, I have, I have lots of friends <laughs> who okay. support her. And I've tried to explain where her votes have actually been. And, unfortunately, she does a really good job messaging. And I, I do think she's actually, like... Lydia is charming and I, I like her personally. <laughs> I'll just, I'll say it. Yeah. I know, I know people. She, she has charisma. <laughs> she has girl. She's really nice to chat with. And I actually think her heart's in the right place often, but I think she has gotten herself wrapped into this toxicity and it's really hard to get out. I would disagree. I would disagree with that. I, I think a really good, I think a really good example. Most of, most of this is theater. Um, yes. like most yeah. of this is theater and performatism and, and a really good example of that. I think, um, there's a motion that came before the Palo Alto city council a couple weeks, maybe it was a month. I don't know. In, in COVID time, yeah, how long time ago this was, here. it's all circular, <laughs> but, uh, at, at some point within, within the recent past, Palo Alto was considering whether or not to support various state propositions. And one of those propositions was proposition 21. Um, which for listeners is an expansion of or potential expansion of, of rent control and rent control policies. And let me just Lydia, add one piece of context to that. 60% of the renters in Palo Alto, or I'm sorry, 60% of our public school students in Palo Alto are renters, the majority of whom live in single family homes, which are unable to be protected by any renter protections, including our local ones. Anyway. So Prop uh, 21 would expand, Prop 21 would would expand. those families that live here. Yes. It, it would, it would so make it Lydia, possible to have the local, you know, which yes. which would be likely, but let, yeah, but go ahead. Any, anyhow. You're never going to let me on the show again. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Lydia publicly supported that. Um, she publicly supported it at council, supported, you know, moving forward with a, with a resolution to uh, support Prop 21. It didn't. It didn't make it for um, for a number of reasons, and and the city did not support Prop 21. A couple of weeks later, uh, she was seen at a local farmers market with another candidate, Gur Stone, handing out no on 21 signs. Wonderful. Um, like I like I said, all of this is theater. It's yeah. done in the public eye. Like it's it's all theater for you know to play to a certain audience and. You know, what you hear on the dais is... is She's is, a realtor, too, just an FYI. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, this is this is all performatism, and it's all theater, and, and that is the bane and essence of Palo Alto. So, I'm just gonna... I'm sorry. I don't want to live... I don't want to be on this defending Lydia Koo, but I will say that also, like, she has been brought to tears meeting families who need affordable housing here. So, I actually think... I do think she genuinely wants deeply affordable housing. I totally agree. A lot of it is political theater, but I do think I I do think that like the affordable. I don't think she supports affordable housing just to be a NIMBY. I do think she genuinely wants it. She has no idea how it gets constructed, developed, or financed. And I have offered on numerous occasions to sit down and talk to her about it, which she has declined since I started. <laughs> Uh, working with Palo Alto Forward, so I I I will say I particularly care. Like I, I don't particularly care that she <laughs> that she cr that she cried that people can't afford in Palo Alto because the policies that she's directly pursuing are why people can't afford to live in Palo Alto. 
And so like you can, this is, this is a thing that you hear often from NIMBYs on the peninsula. Like I care about affordable housing. Like it, you know, it, I, I don't like it that people can't afford to live here. But like, if you oppose the policies, like not only oppose, but vigorously oppose, and yeah. then do everything physically and and literally possible to make it difficult for people to afford the city that you live in, then no, you don't care about affordable housing. Like you don't actually, and that's, it's a ridiculous claim. Yeah, I mean, I would say two things, which is first, I mean, when when her paycheck depends, like is about you know the unaffordability of housing. I'm very skeptical that 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 can be divorced from uh, what what she's uh, what she actually you know supports. And then second is I think there is also kind of like two tiers of there's what people believe and there's what people will themselves to believe. And I think when people really are structurally they have to support the status quo because for different reasons they just can't uh, they they will not allow this change. They don't like it for different reasons. They want to feel good about it. They don't want to feel bad. And I don't I think, you know, different voters, different residents, but then also the people themselves. I think you have to have these two things in mind. I'm not a bad person and what I'm doing is not bad, which is why nimbyism is so I think powerful because it's a way of saying it's yeah. like I like I love quaintness. I love smallness. I love my neighborhood and you try to say, "Oh, I want these abstract ideals such as the abstraction of of uh, affordable housing with no real plan to get there." And when you actually see it like she saw the uh aff- like subsidized senior housing, she actually was extremely outraged. And that's that's not shocking that the actual concrete, you know, uh example is what they're up against but i guess to get back to this and have you seen schitt's creek uh no i have not my family uh, my mom and sister are big fans but uh all right there's an episode where the mom becomes uh an elected official and in the first meeting somebody asks them to extend after school care and she gets up and she gives this incredible speech and it's amazing and everyone applauds and and they can't wait to like hear how she's gonna fight for their kids and then the next person gets up and speaks and he says about, some, you know, how terrible an idea this is. And then she gets up. She totally sides with the other guys. And it, she gives this like impassioned speech again. And I feel like, I mean, I, 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 that is why I think I like Lydia Koo. And I do think in some, there are instances where I'm not supporting Lydia Koo. Absolutely not supporting <laughs> Lydia Koo. In my front yard. Um, but I I believe I, I I watched that scene and I was like this is totally Lydia Koo. She's like she is moved by this, but then she's moved by the next thing, and it's whoever the last person who spoke to her was. It's like local politics is so funny and weird because this is all it's all these weird personal relationships and so on. It's very it's 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 wild stuff. Uh, yeah. Anyway, watch Shit's Creek. I think it's like season three when she gets on the. We should probably talk about the actual candidates. Yeah, that's uh, well, well, let's, do, let's do that. I, I, yeah. I, I like the long, uh, detailed theory uh, of of Palo Alto stuff. But yeah, let's talk about what's on. I guess my main point is so much stuff is bad and weird and cursed in Palo Alto. But I'm, I'm encouraged by it. you still get good, new, exciting candidates trying to push back against the system. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about these candidates. And again, this was also a like you know at the beginning before before people had filed. I know a lot of us were like, God, there's really nobody running this year. And now we've got 10 people running. It's wild, yeah. It sounded like it was being an empty slate, but wow. Yeah. Um, you want me to just like list off everybody who's running? Uh, okay, yeah, do it. Okay, so we've got Pat Burt, who... Um, former mayor. Is an MB. Yeah. Former mayor. 
Um, we've got Rebecca Eisenberg, um, lawyer, mom, um, housing supporter. We've got Lydia Koo. We've discussed Shit's Creek. Um, we've got Stephen Lee, former human relations commissioner, uh, another lawyer. We've got a lot of lawyers, actually. Uh, another lawyer. Um, huge housing is literally the focus of his campaign. Um, he's also a young renter um with roommates he's not like a you know he's not like a me renter where i'm like my roommates are my children and my husband he's like a regular person um we've got raven malone who's awesome um she is a young black woman who moved here more recently but um was really involved in the black lives matter stuff and um just i mean she She's great. I mean, as long as I uh, thought, I don't think there's been a you know black face on the city council Palo Alto, you know, in a generation or more, if ever. Since Ladoris Cordell, a, I don't. Yes, think. I was going to say that, okay. that. I believe that is the last. Um, that is the last black person who was on our council. Yeah. Um, so that's and over- I mean, but like, you know, aside from Raven being black, she's a great candidate. Yeah. Like we all keep talking, the NIMBYs and the YIMBYs keep talking about how we need real innovative change. And like Raven totally embodies that. Like she, she would absolutely mix things up here. And Adrian Fine like loves her. So for people who are like, oh, I am so sad Adrian is leaving. Adrian's endorsed her. Um, we've got Greer Stone, who I really just can't say that much about because he just rubs me the wrong way. He's young NIMBY. Yeah, that's yeah, like, he's a that's... young NIMBY. He's a, like he's a young NIMBY teacher who he just rubs me the wrong way. I got a very, so very just, Eddie Haskell type of you know he 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 loves to get where there's originals from you know from the old folks of Palo Alto. It's it's I don't, I don't know. It's a friend of the show. We had an interview with him once, and uh, you know it was actually Kelsey and Greer and me, and it was supposed to be like a conversation and talk, but he just wouldn't stop being a politician. It was just it was too boring, and I shelled the episode. I aired it on their air, but oh, it was just, it was not exciting. Like it's, I, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I don't, I, I don't like people who you can't see. They can't stop being a politician and he can't. It's really, it's disturbing. Yeah. No, that's a very, that's a very good way of describing him. I've had, I've, I had one conversation with him um, back in 2019 at, there's a joint meeting um, between the Menlo Park, East Palo Alto and Palo Alto city councils on specifically on SB 50. And I had a short conversation with Greer after, um, you know, I had, I had gotten up and spoke and sort of excoriated Palo Alto, uh, and, and Menlo park over, over their previous housing stances and ended up talking with Greer after where he sort of did this shtick about how, you know, we, we agree more than we disagree. Um, which is a very politician line and it's entirely untrue because no, we don't agree more than we disagree. Like housing is a core fundamental issue and we like well, disagree and on also, it. And that's not Palo something Alto, that you can... Palo Alto often, I mean, the, the, the folks who hate SB 50 in Palo Alto would be quite happy to continue to push all of our, like all of our affordable housing into East Palo Alto, which is a totally unfair thing to do. They've all got these like Black Lives Matter signs in front of their houses and they're like cool black lives matter as long as we like keep them in east palo alto yeah i mean the the blm energy in palo alto really makes my skin crawl i i it's it's the hypocrisy is just off the charts it really disgusts me (laughs) so yeah uh okay so we've got greer stone we've got greg tanaka um 
who is he's kind of like our fiscal responsibility guy Chamber like of commerce he, type yeah yeah he also is like very pro-development um and then we've got carrie templeton who's on the planning commission um she's also super pro housing many people know her from housing twitter um and then we've got ajit um and ajit is one of my neighbors so just transparent um uh also pro housing and i think p4e endorsed ajit right you endorsed ajit care no carrie no we did not oh okay okay so i'm wrong anyway ajit's actually very good he but he has he just doesn't have a ton of experience he doesn't have a ton of experience so you know where where i think raven malone um in her being new to the community brings like this energy and uh kind of vision for change i think ajit could have that he's just not quite there which is, I think, to say, like, you know, these endorsements, there's a lot of kind of, you know, personal overlap, a lot of different opinions you can have. But, you know, these this is the, the process. So there's, you know, it's not like this is. Oh, and then there's Ed Lowing. I, for, I forget about him. Uh, but um, he's also in the Planning Commission. And he's the one who said that he totally understands what being a renter is like. And we don't really need one on the planning commission because he gets it. I believe him. I believe him. But uh, I yeah. guess to to recap the actual endorsement. If there's anyone who understands the plight of the renter, it's old white homeowners. Absolutely. It's old white homeowners in what what is this house? It's like a five million dollar house, like <laughs> seven uh, bedrooms. Like it's yeah, he gets it. It makes sense. Uh, but uh, to to recap, the actual P four E endorsements are Carrie Templeton, Ravens uh, Malone, and Stephen Lee. Uh, but uh, you know, other people, you know, have some, uh, SVDSA also gave a thumbs up those three, but also Rebecca Eisenberg, but you know, it's, you know, you just, uh, <laughs> I think, you... I think Rebecca, Rebecca Eisenberg is a sleeper. I mean, yeah. I gotta say I've, I, I attended one of her, um, one of her forums this week and it was great. Like she really is great on housing. Um, I, I very much agree. And I was one of the people who voted you know, Peninsula for everyone didn't didn't end up endorsing her because we didn't feel she was strong enough. Um, I I personally support her though. Um, I I really like her a lot, and and I think she she'd also be. I think she's a good candidate, and would and would make a good uh, good council member. So and so you get um, just to also add context to it, like in the Palo Alto City Council race, you get four votes. So we've got ten people up, four votes. Yep. Three endorsed three. And a lot of people only endorsed three. Yeah, there. I mean, the Democratic Party endorsed Stephen, Kerry, uh, and Raven, and that was it. Yeah, and I, I the the question is, what is the path for change in Palo Alto? I think having better people and at worst people is going to be good. It's going to, uh, <laughs> but like. Is Palo Alto really going to change from inside? I'm always very yeah. skeptical, you know, because like anyone well, who... Well, here's one of the reasons that I like Stephen Lee so much. Yeah. Stephen Lee has like got this deep commitment to making our commissions and our city government more diverse and actually committing to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think our current council has not been committed to that. Um, so I think until we, until we make, act, you know, actual commitments to make sure that diversity, equity, and inclusion are part of the decision-making process for all of these appointed and elected bodies, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. And I think part of it, too, is what do you do as far as embracing regional uh, interventions? And you had, yeah. you had 
I mean, I think to look at the bad side, Pat Burt and Greer Stone worked together to write an editorial saying SB50 would cause gentrification in Palo Alto. They don't want anything to change. I don't know. I mean, but like, does anybody, is there a lot of credibility in two white men oh, no. talking about gentrification? No, one being a, a very comfortable homeowner, one being a young renter who aligns with the homeowners for very cynical reasons. I mean, Greer Stone's part of the Embarcadero Institute making, uh, you know, uh, you know, and they're all just still mad because they lost their planning commissioner. Yeah, it's funny stuff. But they're just, I mean, they're they are a think tank who just exists to talk about why Palo Alto should not have any interventions in the state, you know, Senate or, or so yeah. on. It, it's like, we're good. We're good the way we are. Yeah. And I mean, they also exist for other, you know, more reputable people to make fun of. Um, oh, there we go. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Uh so okay, that was that was you know discuss, discussing a few cities. Uh, I think that are, are fun to discuss. We have some in, investment in. Uh, there's a lot of cities you guys endorsed. I mean, there's a lot going around. So uh, I don't think we have that kind of. This was this was a big year for us. Yeah. Um, can you can we, you talk you know, about Redwood City? I want to hear your thoughts on Redwood City. Yeah, I can talk about Redwood City. Um, Am I allowed to just take over your show and? Oh ask yeah, questions? that's why I, I had you on to take over the show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we can talk about Redwood City. Um, so Redwood City moved to district elections this year, which is which is big and new, and it'll be interesting to see it see how it plays out. Um, one of the reasons they moved, well, really the biggest reason or the reason they moved to district elections is because Redwood City has a large uh, minority Latinx population. Um, that was not well represented. They've had exactly one Latinx member um, on city council for, um, you know, the last ever. And people want that to change, which which I think is a very reasonable, um, reasonable desire. So anyway, we have district elections in Redwood City now. Um, in District 1, we endorsed uh, Jeff G, who is... Um, that's the Redwood Shores area. It was between him and Nancy Radcliffe, who's a planning commissioner. Um, sort of the vibe was that, you know, kind of a NIMBY-YIMBY divide. Um, neither of them are really supportive of, of renter protections, um, but Jeff uh, was supportive of new housing where, where Nancy didn't really seem to be. Um, the next district uh, is District 3, um, and in that district, we endorsed Bella Chu, who is um, the founder of Redwood City Forward, uh, which, similar to Palo Alto Forward, does um, you know does housing advocacy. I will say that I I personally also there that way that race is a three way race. Um, there the incumbent is Janet Borgens, who has had a very mixed record. She's sort of traditionally, she started out as one of the more NIMBY members on the council, very, very concerned about not losing parking in downtown, um, you know, concerned with, with building heights, um, new buildings, things like that. She's moved a little bit, um, but frankly, not, not nearly enough for us to make an endorsement for her. Um, the other candidate uh, is Lisette uh, Espinoza-Garnica, um, who's a member of DSA. That's right. Didn't she like. get the DSA in She did. She has the sole, uh, sole endorsement of any Redwood City in, in uh, the SVDSA. Yeah. Uh, she got the SVDSA endorsement. Um, she got, I think, the Penn DSA endorsement as well. We didn't get a re- 
I, we reached out to her, um, didn't get a response, which is which is why we didn't, um, you know, consider consider her in the race. Although I'll say I like Lisette a lot personally. Um, excuse me, consider them. I think she's. I think they are non-binary, so that's why we didn't consider them in the race. Um, but I personally like them, um, and and would consider. Uh, would consider a vote for them as well. Uh, that is D3. D4 um, is sort of, I think, one of the bigger success stories of uh, district elections. The that idea- Michael Smith. That is Michael Smith. And yeah. sort of the idea of district elections was to allow um, young uh, people of color, um, hopefully, to, to get on councils. And that's exactly what's happening in D4. Um, Mike Smith is a young uh, black man, um, strongly pro-renter, strongly pro-housing, pro-pedestrian, pro-transit. Uh, he is a really exciting candidate for, for a number of reasons. And he's also running unopposed in his district. So one way or another, you're going to see um, at least one more person of color on on the Redwood City City Council this year, uh, which will be a really nice change of pace, I think. And uh, uh, D7, you also have endorsement for uh, Alicia. Yes, so in D7, we in, we endorsed Alicia Aguirre. So she is running, uh, she's a longtime Redwood City Council member, um, is a professor at Kenyatta College, the local community college, and is running against, um, that's another three-way race. Uh, she's running against a young guy named Mark Wollahan who born and raised in the district, but isn't really running, you know, any kind of substantial campaign. Um, and then her her real main opponent is Chris Rasmussen, um, who's a, I think now retired Redwood City police officer, um, sort of running on an equity platform, um, but is but is also, I think, has the support of the uh, of the NIMBY group residents uh, Redwood City residents say what their sort of NIMBY Facebook group um, and the more anti-development people in in the city. And Alicia um, got, I mean, she got an award for her support in affordable housing from the Housing Leadership Council two years ago. Like, yes. Alicia is like, I mean, she, you know. Alicia, Alicia is actually one of my favorite council members on the peninsula. Um, you don't often find council members who are willing to not only stand up for their what they believe in like not only are they do they have the right beliefs but they're willing to stand up for them and they're willing to stand up for them in the face of like something bad could happen to me if i um if i stand for these things and two years ago um when the casa compact was at mtc for those unfamiliar with the casa compact the casa compact was a package of um potential housing legislation um on rent caps on zoning reform on um a number of different uh it was the it was the thing that tried to bring the three p's together yes it was, it was a big visioning document trying to steer everything you know try to get everyone on board with what exactly where, where and it, it essentially became uh, AB 1482, Just Cause Evictions and, and Rent Caps, SB 50, um, AB 1487, which which established the Bay Area Housing Financing Authority. Uh, so it, it was a really important package um, uh, that, it, that eventually became this legislation. 
And it had to be ratified at MTC, which is the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, which is uh, a body of a governing body, a regional governing body that Alicia sat on. Um, she was a member of the MTC. And she was essentially told by a lot of people, a lot of elected officials in San Mateo County, we hate this. This is bad. We don't like this. Do not vote for it. And she basically said, um, screw you to all of them, uh, which was the right position to take. She voted for it and she lost I like her to think seat. She said, I like to think she said, you know what? Doing the right thing is more important yes. than being aligned with You're, you. She didn't quite say screw you. I'm not sure I could see Alicia sure. saying screw you. <laughs> Sure, um, you're you're absolutely right. I said I said that, not not Alicia. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. Alicia said, "I'm sorry, like voting in favor of this is is the right thing to do for the region. Um, it it might not be the popular thing, but it's the right thing." And she did it, and she was removed from the the elected officials of of San Mateo County who choose the MTC representative. They booted her from MTC. Uh, they said, you know, over this vote, um, like, we're removing you from MTC. And they put on uh, a council member from Millbrae who is anti-renter, anti-renter protection, anti-zoning reform, um, anti, you know, many other good things in the world. And it was, it was a clear, it was a clear example of an elected official prioritizing what is good and right and what will help many people over um you know over the desires of her fellow electeds who hold a lot of sway in the county and that doesn't come along every day which i think also i think this also speaks to a bigger thing which is you have the local like how do people understand local politics? It's like, okay, you do the election. A lot of people don't even follow the city council, which I, I mean, you, it's like, life is complicated. I can't blame them too, too badly. But then on top of it, you have all these weird extra appointed commissions. And nobody and knows what the these, commissions you know, do. Like if you... No. I mean, it's like not to throw out like the deep state. It feels like there's the deep state of housing behind all these different stuff. And like it's uh, it's it's we're f I think you're finally getting these institutions that are trying to understand it and push back. But it does make, you know, like someone makes a, uh, you know, a courageous stand and then there's like this weird backroom deal where MTC and everything gets gets, you know, uh, refigured. It's it's real. It, it's it real is. Depressing, and it, it was this it was this moment of like. Oh, this is this is how it was a very formative moment for me because it was somewhat early in in my housing advocacy like days, and it was like, oh, this is how it actually works. Yeah, like you know, I couldn't vote on this. Um, yeah, you know, well, it was only the mayors were allowed to vote on it, and only, only the, mayors the mayors who showed up to that meeting. And and not only and, that, and but... who is who are our mayors? They're mostly white men. Who are homeowners yes. like and and not only that this this meeting yeah. was at a thai restaurant in burlingame at 6 p.m on a friday <laughs> night like it was it, that's funny it was a very no it's, it was a very anti-democratic like it, it's it's still sort of it's still sort of mind-blowing to me but I mean, that, it that is one of the it demonstrates the boys club that democracy really is Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 big like yeah. power broker energy of just like, oh yeah, all this stuff's happening in the back room. People at Thai restaurant. This, this, yeah, this is carved out. It's, it's wild. So, 
I don't know. It's you know, things evolve slowly. I think the unfortunate thing is every year things move slowly. People get displaced. People move around, and who knows how things will be refigured in the uh, face of COVID. But you know, it's it's a it's yeah. a slow. Well, march. and what's going to be interesting? So this is what I'm like. I'm interested to look at post-election in places like Palo Alto because we've those of us, you know, as I said, we've got these this huge percentage of renters who are mostly young families attending our school districts. A lot of these people are leaving. I mean, we saw something like 22% yeah. less students this year for PAUSD at the Palo Alto School District. Like that's a huge amount. That's a huge change. So what is that going to mean in terms of this election? And anecdotally, where are you seeing people move to? I have no idea. I mean, uh, you know. Okay, I'm just wondering. You don't. You don't really know people uh, personally. I do know who, people who personally who are moving. They're moving out of the state. I mean, like people, young families. We cannot live here, and we have consistently seen our our jurisdictions refuse to create the stability and predictability that we need in order to raise families here. We cannot buy homes. We have to rent, and so if we are going to have to rent, we have to be able to provide. Again, like predictability with kids is like that's like. 80% yeah. of parenting. There's like feeding them and also making sure that they have, they know what's happening next. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I said growing up in Cincinnati, you know, having a very stable cohort, you know, for the most part at school, it's very different than the amount of people I seeing being priced out and moving on a yearly yep. basis around the Bay area. It's, 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 it's a, it's a grind, you know, but, uh, Okay, so that's uh, any any more thoughts on Redwood City, or do you want to talk you know a little bit about other cities going on? That's that's pretty much it for for Redwood City. Um, Redwood City is definitely going to be one of the more important elections this cycle, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, it's a big important city uh, as far as Peninsula. Can we talk about San Mateo next? Because I think San Mateo is the other one that's like, ooh, sure. And we have a local expert, uh, Jordan, uh, to talk about San Mateo. Yeah. Um, so obviously San Mateo is near and dear to my heart because it, it is my my hometown and, and where I still live. Um, and yeah, we've we've got a number of things on the ballot um, that are that are pretty important. Uh, a city council race that sort of will determine the balance of the council, whether it swings NIMBY or, or YIMBY or, you know, whatever, um, whatever other designation you, you'd like to place on it. So the three candidates in the running um, are Diane Pappen, who's a current council member, um, elected first, I think in 20, I want to say in 2015. She is running for uh, running for re-election. She has typically been on the more NIMBY side of things, um, but the council swung into the pro-housing direction last November after uh, Amarance Lee was appointed. Amarance is the next, uh, you know, the next person on the ballot. Um, P3's only endorsement in the race, uh, and in fact, an early endorsement was was for Amarance. Um, she's an equity advocate, housing advocate, justice advocate who lives in the North Central District, um, which is the formerly redlined uh, sort of disinvested district in San Mateo, um, in in the north part of San Mateo. Um, also, and then, I genuinely like her campaign stuff. Like she's running that like she's she is running for city council. Like where the Greer Stones of the world are like, oh, they're always electioneering. Amo is just like herself. Yes. Amo Amo and doesn't I love it. really she doesn't really know how to do anything other than be herself, which is which has both been problematic for us at times and also like very endearing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I, I get that it's, I mean, it's, it, you know, it becomes problematic in so many random things, but like, it's great. Like that is the, like, like my, 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 my movement crush on Amo. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's, that's Amo. And then uh, the next and, and final candidate is Lisa Diaz-Nash. Um, she is, her, her ballot designation, I think, is library board trustee. Um, she is also the, I want to say president or on the board of the Baywood Homeowners Association. Um, and she's really sort of the NIMBY candidate in the race, um, or at least the most prominent uh, and outspoken NIMBY candidate. She did come out against the uh, our height limit measure, measure Y, which was sort of a surprise. Um, but all of her supporters are the same people that are running that campaign. Mm. So it's it's hard to know. I mean, it's not hard to know. We, you know, she, you know, very opposed to uh, undoing exclusionary zoning. Um, has specifically talked a lot about protecting the neighborhoods, protecting the single-family home neighborhoods. Uh, has just recently received the endorsement of Sam Carr and the California Apartment Association. So you can probably figure out which way she'll go on rent control by uh, by by those endorsements and and on renter protection. I mean, triple Crown. She's got like checking off all the boxes. Yes. <laughs> like every ghoulish thing. Yes. Yeah. That's that's nice. Uh, so and also I, to to kind of skip uh, over to the uh, measures. I mean, I th- they sound pretty clear, but uh, you know, uh, Peninsula for Everyone went out against both R and Y in San Mateo, which just you know kind of seemed like very cut and dry. Yes, you know, NIMBY measures. Uh, any, anything else worth knowing, or are they just as simple as they no, seem? No, they're they're not quite they're not quite as simple as as they seem. So measure R is sort of like the compromise measure. Um, it's it's being backed by developers um, as well as, but it's not just developers. It's it's the local Democratic Party. It's a number of affordable housing advocates. It's basically it's basically people who said we are worried that Y will pass and we want a compromise on the ballot that people can vote for. Um, I personally don't think it goes near nearly far enough. Um, I'm pretty confident in the campaign that we're running that we'll be able to squash Measure Y once and for all. Uh, Measure Y having been in existence in San Mateo for the last 30 years as measures H and P, um, I'm, I'm pretty confident that we're going to be able to squash it. Cautiously optimistic is, is how I would phrase my, phrase my thoughts on, on that. Um, but I don't think our... I, I appreciate what they tried to do with R, but it's still it's still at its core an exclusionary measure, and Peninsula for Everyone voted to voted to oppose it. Um, measure Measure Y, on the other hand, is like the one of the single worst, in my opinion, uh, like measures on the peninsula in in the last thirty years. It is it has badly harmed housing growth. It restricts all buildings, regardless of what they are, whether they're market rate, affordable, whatever to five stories and 50 units an acre. Um, the density portions of it are just incredibly harmful. Um, you can't build. And as you mentioned before, you know, San Mateo has this like, you know, subsidized, very tall building. And that's, you know, that, that would not be legal at any time. Since. Yes, there's there's a beautiful building in, in downtown San Mateo right next to Central Park, um, Leslie Towers, which is uh, 200 units of, very low income senior housing. It was built in 1963 and would be illegal to build today under the height limits. 
um, and and density limits, and and Measure Y would continue that for for another ten years, um, which is which is why we're very strongly opposed to it. Well, well, well. Okay, so uh, more cities. Well, this is exciting. Uh, I think early we're talking about South San Francisco is one thing uh, you all wanted to comment on. Yeah, um, I'm extremely excited about South City. Um, so there there are two candidates that we've endorsed in in South City. Uh, Mark Nagalis in D2. Um, Mark is great, uh, previously an aide to Jackie Spear, um, now works for Project Sentinel, um, and didn't start out, I wouldn't say started out as a housing champion, sort of understood the need, um, but is another elected sort of like Pat Showalter in, in Mountain View, I think, who is who has learned as time has gone on um, and, and has become a much better candidate over time. Um, and very didn't, Mark, didn't Mark Nagales like buy his first house with a heart loan? Yes. Um, yeah. And, and that's something that Mark, you know, talked about with us in his endorsement interview that he wouldn't have been able to, uh, he and his wife wouldn't, you know, and kids wouldn't live here with, without, um, you know, a, a loan from heart, uh, which is the uh, endowment trust in, uh, in San Mateo County. Like like I said, Mark's Mark's really come a long way and evolved on a lot of issues. Very very supportive of um, bike and ped infrastructure improvements. Very supportive of uh, bus rapid transit, um, and and has been has been supportive. One of the few voices in in support of renters on on the city council. Um, the other race in South City uh, that I'm really really excited about is. Um, the District 4 race, which is where you will have uh, Rich Garbarino, who is a long, I want to say 18, 20 year incumbent, um, running against a young progressive uh, person of color, uh, James Coleman, who um, was a founding member of uh, Harvard DSA. Um, he is, I think, 21, 22. Uh, and is progressive in all the right ways that you that you want to see. Strongly opposed to exclusionary zoning, strongly in favor of of renter protections um, and and rent control, uh, and strongly in favor of defunding the police um, and reprioritizing funds to affordable housing, mental health services, uh, things like that. And Rich Garbarino has been really one of the more um, you know, anti-housing politicians on the peninsula over the last 20 years. South City um, has one of the worst housing jobs imbalances in San Mateo County um, and, and has over the last 10 years. They've gobbled up office space and, and jobs with Genentech and other biotech firms, um, but have built less than uh, a thousand units of housing over, over the last decade. Um, so being able to flip a seat on the South City Council would be fantastic being able to not only flip it from you know a yimby uh, nimby to a yimby but also someone who is a young progressive person of color who supports um you know making making changes to uh to the carceral nature of um of our justice system is is very important as well and it's one of the also, more exciting races i mean also south san francisco like if that city council if that city council shifted it would be huge for renters because the staff, the institutions have brought in the idea, like they have brought in agenda items around renter protections over and over again. And the city council has consistently been too afraid to, to change anything. 
even yes. though they have mm. so many residents who want and need it. Um, so that would be huge. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, South City was one of the one of the few cities back when AB 1482 was back when cities were trying to implement AB 1482 early, um, doing urgency ordinances uh, last year, so that renters you know wouldn't wouldn't face eviction um, in in the period before the law took effect. South City was one of the few cities in the peninsula that you know rejected it outright. Um, some peninsula cities uh, took it up and and moved that process forward, which was great. Others just didn't take it up, but there were a few cities. I think like I think Foster City was the other one that took it up and just decided, no, we are comfortable with renters being evicted. That's fine. Um, and South City was was one of those cities. And this having having another young progressive on the South City Council could could really change that. Well, very cool, very cool. Uh, okay, more more cities. Give me give me more cities. <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, what else is going? On? I mean, I was gonna say a few things around here uh, as far as like you know, uh, you know, more friends of the show uh, down in Cupertino facing off with Stephen. Yeah, Scherf, I was gonna another, say Cupertino uh, and Cooper. I think Cupertino is a big one. But also, can I ask this? J- I don't know anything about JT Eden. Can you? Yes, uh, I can talk a little bit about JT. So JT is our. You, you know about I? I know about so many of these cities. I I just I'm, I'm muddling along. I don't. How do you know every single city? Jesus. So, um, I just spend way too much time on this stuff. So JT. I thought I did. <laughs> JT Eden is um is our endorsed candidate in San Carlos. Um, San Carlos has historically, it's extremely white, like 70 something percent white, I, like 80% or more single family homes. Um, and JT is running for, a, you know, for a seat on the city council is a young, is very, I want to say he's like 18, 19. Um, like he's is, young enough to be my child. And I like, yes, I, he can I, be I, I was like, child. I was like, oh my God, this is like this, this is so exciting. Yeah. But but he um, but he has really a tremendous grasp on the issues. Um, I was really really impressed when when we interviewed him. Um, I certainly didn't have that grasp of the issues when when I was 18, 19 years old. Right, young um, people are making us all look terrible, and I love it. Yes, there's people active in here, high schoolers at the moment. Yeah. You know, I think people they're getting yeah they're getting involved in, and even radicalized. Well, I you mean, know, like very early. Gosh, in Palo Alto, every time I talk to him, I'm yeah. like. Oh man, I really, I really squandered my youth. I knew nothing. I knew nothing in high school. They're so one much of, smarter than we were. One of the more like <laughs> enjoyable anecdotes I have from this elect this election season. Um, I've been volunteering, obviously, for for Amarance Lee in in San Mateo, and she has a fantastic group of uh, Gen Z kids working on her campaign. And, you know, I'm in this signal group with them and they're truly some of the most engaged, um, bright, curious people that I've ever met. And many of them are, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old and they're, and they're volunteering and doing all this work on, um, you know, opposing uh, exclusionary zoning, opposing, uh, measure Y and trying to get, you know, uh, uh, Amarinsley elected um, for for a full term when they can't even vote for her, but they they understand what's at stake um, climate wise and housing wise and in, also, in a way that I certainly didn't when I was there. But also, like I wish that like I wish that like housing and climate change could take credit for radicalizing these kids, but like 
if you go back and you listen to the public comments around Black Lives Matters agenda items in city council, like that's what radicalized you. Yes. Kids. Oh, like, absolutely. And to be and clear, these, awesome. kids, these kids specifically are members of Coalition Z, um, which, yeah, which formed around Black Lives Matter and, and or at least got active in San Mateo around Black Lives Matter um after after the murder of george floyd and they didn't like but like that's a like you you listen to their public comments and like they didn't just call in and give like some story about why they were supportive like these kids went in and they like found the annual budgets and they made comparisons and like i mean I didn't know my city had a budget when I was 17. No, it's fine. There's like, there's a multiplying effect. People like they you know, push the edge of what they, what's possible, what they can do. And then it, you know, then they all learn from each other. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's wild as opposed to kind of just being, you know, you know an ignorant, normal high schooler. Like I was, yeah. you know, you don't know any of these. The, the system <laughs> is radicalizing people early and earlier, I think, which is, which is both, which is both good and disturbing at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It's a good one. It's in a good way. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's cool. Uh, okay, so we're talking about uh, JT in San Carlos. As we were talking just a little bit before that, uh, JR, you know, friend of the show down in Cupertino, uh, you know, I think a very good change of pace compared to what the normal operations are down in Cupertino, one of the more entrenched NIMBY places down there. Uh, but yeah, yeah, dual endorsement. You have, uh, uh, I guess, like two candidates. I mean, uh, JR is, as well as uh, Hung, Hung Wei mm-hmm. is the other endorsement yes. down in Cupertino. Uh, any other thoughts? I think it's kind of black and white. But, yeah, you know, I mean that anymore. that's very much that's very much a race where it's like you've got two nimbies and I mean you've got like two two nimbies who are sort of like the arch nimbies of the region, right? Like you've got you've got Stephen Sharp, um, who you know is is sort of like the nimby known, uh, you know, the region and and in parts of the state, um, you know, sort of. He's a bigger than life figure. Yeah, he's very yeah. funny. Um, so we, we have a chance to, to knock him off the council and, and if we could do that, that would be great. I'm, you know, it's, it's Cupertino, so it's going to be a heavy lift, obviously, but, but we're, we're very supportive of, of JR for, for the obvious and, and, of, of Hong Wei for, for all the obvious, obvious reasons. If I remember right, Cupertino is, is that the, like one of the few cities, a hundred percent zone, single family zoning? I don't, I don't know if it is or not. Um, I can't. Yeah, but it's 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 up there, if not quite a hundred percent. It's a, it's a wild place. Yeah. Uh, okay. Other other stuff. Uh, you know, I, mean, I think we kind of like we've been talking for a while. Probably we should go into rapid fire. We should we should do just a stuff. quick thing on Sunnyvale. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Since, since we're in since we're in the South Bay now, anyway. Um, uh, well, you know the the Peninsula sort of South Bay crossover section there. Um, so we endorsed three candidates there. Uh, we dual endorsed in District 6 uh, between Omar Din and uh, Leia Melman. Um, both fantastic choices. Leia uh, is a mobile homeowner, um, you know, rents the lot that she lives on, is very supportive of rent control and rent stabilization, um, very supportive of ending exclusionary zoning and, and upzoning the city, um, very supportive of safe parking. Uh, Omar is also a renter, you know, graduated uh, college, came back and realized that he was priced out of his hometown. Very, uh, very supportive of all the same things. Either would be a fantastic choice. And then in D2 uh, is probably one of the races in the region that I'm most excited about. Alyssa Cisneros, young, progressive Latinx woman, um, strongly supportive of renter protections. very, very cool. 
She, Alyssa is honestly one of my favorite candidates this cycle, and I've gotten in, not in trouble, but like I've said that a lot this cycle because there are so many fantastic <laughs> candidates running now, which is a problem that I love to have because we did not have this problem several years ago. And so now you have all these young progressive people running, which is, which is great. And Alyssa is certainly one of my favorites, um, extremely supportive of renter protections, extremely supportive of ending exclusionary zoning, really every good policy you could, you could think of, um, uh, very anti-carceral and really just a, just a tremendous person who's running against just an absolute NIMBY um, in, in the district. Uh, and it would be fantastic to see her on the city council in Sunnydale. So I think that's it for city races, right? That's right. Actually, you you did endorse for mayor. Although I will say, Michael Goldman is, I think, <laughs> you know, uh, friend fr- friend of the show. One of the more galaxy brain nimbies out there. Uh, Nancy Smith. I think you're you can you, you can do well to vote against uh, gross uh, against a Goldman in my mind, uh, as well as Grossman on the other seat. Uh, but you know that's 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 one thing you uh, didn't endorse. But I think there's clear bad candidates. Yes. Uh, as far I'll just chime in one more time with uh, SVDSA. You can check it out. But they also endorsed Alyssa. They also endorsed Omar. And they endorsed uh, Nancy Smith for uh, for mayor. But uh, you know, I, so consider yourself. Informed. And I'll say I personally I, I personally support Nancy Smith. Peninsula for everyone didn't take a position on you know did not take a position on on the mayor's race. You know, people have different differing opinions on this, um, but but personally, to me, Larry Klein's sort of foaming at the mouth NIMBYism when it comes to regional, both you know, regional housing initiatives, uh, as as well as fourplexes, sort of solidified um, support for mm. for Liz and my and my personal opinion, not as my capacity as anything related to P three. Well, very cool, very cool. Uh, okay, so uh, do we want to briefly talk about the cities or just let the endorsements stand for themselves and you can check them out? There's so many cities. There's a <laughs> lot of cities. I, Way I too love, many cities. Jordan, if you had three... I like how I'm just pretending I'm a radio host now. No, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I can take it easy. Take over. What, what are your three top cities to watch? Oh, man. That's yeah, really... Got, I, I got to play favorites now. I mean, I'm I'm biased. I'm very I'm very much biased towards um, San Mateo because yeah. like it's it's my hometown, but it's also like one of the biggest cities on the peninsula. We're closing in on like 110,000 people, um, and and the race is going to be very important. It's going to determine um, the balance of how housing uh, will happen here for for the next at you know, for the next four years, at least under city council, but also for the next 10 years, if, if measure Y goes for, you know, yeah. wins. Um, so I, I would say San Mateo. Um, I think Redwood city, absolutely. Um, you know, those, those races are, are very determinative of Redwood city, Redwood city, another big city that has historically been very pro housing. And um, I think it will stay that way, but, well, let's be clear, though, like Redwood City, I think, is doing a great job, but it's like it's doing a great job comparatively. It's like it's, it's yes. relative, right? Like if you in Palo Alto, we're like, wow, Redwood City is doing so great. And then you in Redwood City, they're like, well, we're kind of meeting stuff. We should probably yes. be doing more. Right. And so it's like that's a good like, like it's not done. Like Redwood City's not like, OK, you're good. <laughs> no, not not and by a long me, shot. Not yeah. by a long shot. They're, they're, it's just relative. Redwood City. Redwood City, I would say, is is one of the most, if not the most, pro housing city on the peninsula. 
However, it's a low bar. Yes, right? exactly. Like it's it's a low bar when you're competing with Burlingame and Atherton. Like it's a low bar. <laughs> and also, as far as like kind of cleaning up the jobs, housing imbalance, you know, uh, Redwood City is growing the housing, but they also are doing a lot of. They're just growing overall. They, all, I mean, they're they're not exactly like cleaning up. They're sopping up all the housing deficit from everywhere else. They're just they're just kind of growing in a lot of yes. ways. So it's they've added a lot the of that they space. had. And yeah, like... yeah kind of. <laughs> They're keeping their own stuff. Yeah, There's a giant keeping, hole uh, and they're like, they've put some dirt in it and everybody else just hasn't put any dirt in the hole at all. They're building more yeah. holes on a continuous yeah. basis. Yeah, so. Uh, and your third city. Oh, God. Um, you got to see Mountain View. You got to see I think Mountain it's, View. yeah, it's it's Mountain View. It's it's Mountain View. Yeah. Um, I What happens there could be a dram- could be a really dramatic shift. Um, right now, things sort of teeter back and forth depending on um, which way Chris Clark votes. <laughs> um, Chris Clark has turned out and you know one of one of these esteemed candidates will will take his seat um, but but really I, I do think the progressive slate has a has a chance to knock off one or more NIMBY incumbents um, I, I think the race is is very heated and it'll be really interesting to to see what happens there um, and it and it could you know shift the balance of power in in favor of not not just in favor of you know housing policies, but in favor of uh, policing issues. Um, in in and by in favor, I mean in the favor of progressive opinions on. Um, but certainly, it could it could shift the balance in favor of progressive opinions on policing issues, on pedestrian and um, public transit issues. Um, one of the things that we asked all candidates when we were talking with them. Uh, particularly was about bus rapid transit and bus lanes on El Camino Real. Um, all of the Mountain View candidates uh, that we interviewed were were very supportive of bus lanes on El Camino Real. Um, that's something I know that I would personally really like to see and, and Peninsula for Everyone would really like to see as well. Um, being which is another problem of so many cities that you need to get everyone to buy in i i needed like we needed to have another city which is just el camino yes you know just it's independent city and you get finally a bus lanes yeah uh yeah so i i think mountain view mountain view i think would be the third cool cool uh statewide sacramento we got some exciting senate uh departures both uh, jerry hill uh, who's been a frustrating vote in a lot of ways uh, and Jim Bell uh, down down south, uh, they're both terming out the the hill seat. You know, pretty obvious in insofar as there are stupid jungle primary. We ended up with one Dem and one Republican. You know, it's other candidates were a bit wilder, but it's a pretty boring outcome. Down in uh, down in uh, the Bell seat, it's a little more interesting. You have Cortese and Ravel. We're actually going to talk uh, Ravel. Sorry. Uh, Cortese and Ravel. Uh, we're gonna talk about that, I think, on a different show. So don't you don't you don't feel go that much in depth about that whole thing. But uh, and then you finally have uh, Weiner and Fielder, uh, and you have an endorsement for for Weiner uh, up in uh, up in that seat. Uh, you want to talk about much of the Sacramento stuff as far as that goes? Not not a ton. Um, yeah, I I you know pretty much agree with with everything you said, Mark. Um, the 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 race to replace Jerry Hill is pretty much over. Um, it's it's Josh Becker, uh, who's a Democrat, versus Alex Glue, who's a Republican. Uh, Josh 
it was determined in the primary. There's weird stuff. Like, I followed the brown rig stuff slow, so closely, but, like, he finished, like, seventh. It didn't matter. You know, it, the the Michael brown rig, um, my my preferred candidate was Shelly Mazer, and, and she didn't make it. Um, but I, I did take a lot of solace in the, in the fact that Michael brown rig, who is sort of running on the NIMBY platform, like the openly NIMBY platform, um, finished almost dead last. Um, so that, that was a, that was a great thing to take. I was solace shocked. In. Um, yeah. and, and he spent a lot of money and it got him absolutely nowhere. And so that was, that was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Um, I, I Wait, really enjoy the candidate who had like his mom donated yes. all the money to his campaign. Okay. Correct. Yeah, good Brown Rig was the one where his mom put in hundreds of thousands of dollars to his campaign. It's really cute. Um, Yes. And uh, yeah, there's there's nothing I love to see more than, um, you know, wealthy, white, middle-aged men spending lots of money on, you know, trying to buy races only to come in, you know, almost dead last. Um, you'd love to see it. Uh, so that's that's sort of that race. Josh Becker will win it handily. Um, like I said, he's running against a Republican who holds all the traditional Republican positions. I would be shocked if he didn't secure 80, 75 to 80 percent of the vote. Um, sure. It was a classic split the vote. The general primary is so broken. I mean, you said uh, uh, Shelley Masser, uh, Sally Lieber also ran. And, you know, the thing is both good candidates in a lot of ways, but they split the vote all between them. Yeah, it sucks. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's sort of it's sort of disappointing. But, yeah, that's that is very much what happened. Um, yeah. And the point of finger, Gavin Newsom vetoed, uh, I think, last year, another ranked choice vote, uh, you know, that passed both houses very handily. It's like, what? What is happening? That what sounds right. Guys, what is what a terrible um, governor we have. Yeah, I, I won't uh, spend much time on on Cortese versus um, uh, Ravel. We actually I take it back. I don't think Peninsula for everyone. I think only South Bay Yimby hasn't has endorsed in that race because the Peninsula doesn't really go down that far. Um, sure. But uh, Dave Cortese has uh, South Bay Yimby's endorsement. Um, and Ravel, you know, Los Altos, um, NIMBY, NIMBY-ish wasn't supportive of SB50. And in the last month of the campaign, or maybe last two months, has sort of tilted um, even more to the right, pandering to, to places like Cupertino, um, opposed to Prop 15, supportive of Prop 22. Um, and so, you know, the vote should, one would hope, squarely go to uh, Cortese. Yeah. And I'll just say, Jackie Fielder, I talk about how cursed SF is all the time, and uh, I, I, nothing represents how cursed it is more than that campaign. So I'll, I'll just kind of like move on from that and just, <laughs> it's not worth talking about. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I would agree, uh, other than other than to just say, I, I like Jackie a lot. Um if she was if she was running for district soup, I think this would be another story. Um, but the the work Scott has done to me, um, as as someone who considers themselves a leftist but also a pragmatist and and a you know utilitarian, um, the work Scott has done is just unparalleled, and um, I look forward to seeing him continue more of it. Yeah, Scott, I mean, Scott Wiener, I'd say he's not perfect on a lot of things. A lot of things he really disappoints me in, but boy, he makes Palo Alto NIMBYs shudder every day, and that, you know, I'm very thankful for, for all his very bold positions and all these things. So The Scott Wiener derangement syndrome um, in the suburbs is, is truly incredible to watch, and I look it's forward great. to seeing it for another four years. 
Absolutely. So, uh, okay, local measures. We talked about how bad uh, Mountain View Measure C, the RV ban, is. We talked about previous shows, too. You mentioned San Mateo, R&Y. You endorsed uh, no on those as well. Measure RR is the Caltrain bill. We talked about that in the past as well. You know, it's kind of, it's keeping the lights on. Uh, that's, a, that's a yes. Uh, I mean, we, we, you know, it's, that's, 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 that's old stuff. Uh, props. A lot, a lot, you know, people cover the state props. Let's try to, let's try to cover the state props in a way that is... Maybe, uh, you know, a lot of them are pretty clear, but uh, there, there's some big ones. You want to talk about the big ones first? Get that out of the way? Sure. Um, I guess we can do, I mean, do we need to do 15? Do we want to do 15? Which which ones do you consider to be the big ones, Mark? I wrote down four big ones. Uh, I'm actually, I mean, only, only three are big. One is just wild. Uh, Prop 15 is the Prop 13 split role. Schools, communities first act. We've done entire shows about this. You know, I every 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 uh, person who's who's not a goblet is is you know incredibly supportive of Prop 15. It's incredible. Like we need it because of COVID more than ever. It's 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 you know it's very 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 solid stuff. I mean, I will uh, say I, I totally totally agree. However, I do I do think we're gonna be surprised at the votes on it. I mean. I had a conversation this weekend with someone who was still under the impression that it was going to impact residential taxes. Oh, there's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and they were like, oh, but everyone can move their property tax to any new home. And I was like, absolutely, everyone cannot. Um, it's, yeah. Literally, it's, it, like, it only ended with, like, Googling the law. There's a lot of crazy. There's a that's the whole question of Hammer Jarvis, which is if you are supporting residential Prop 13, is this a win or a loss for you? Some would consider it a loss because they're chipping away at it. I would consider it, you know, in kind of a dismal way, a win for them because if they carve off the commercial stuff, people are not going to get the energy to get residential for another yeah. couple generations. So they should take the W, move yeah. on. We yeah. all. This person was a senior who when he purchased his home 30 years ago was told by that realtor that he could move his property tax to a new home. That's fascinating. I was like, you were how old? What was the other partial thing? Like you move within the county already in place at that point? That You had to be over 55 to move it within your county. Okay. So hmm. the realtor like straight up lied to it. Not shocking. They do Not that. Shocking. Yeah. 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 Uh, if I was an accelerationist, which I try not to be because it's, it can often be very stupid, I would say no one 15 because it will make an entire – it's going to crumble uh, California finances so much that everything is going to go belly up. We'll have a new constitutional convention, but that's not going to happen. You know, I think be, be realistic, guys. Uh, don't try to make things worse to make it better. Uh, 15 is a lifeline. It's it's very good. Uh, other, well, and other we also haven't, I, I do think we're also going to see massive cuts in schools and furloughs very soon. And so I think there's only going to be more support for Prop 15. Oh, yeah. I, we, it's, it's incredible how much the damage has yet to even hit. It's going to get yeah. so much uglier. Yep. Um, Prop 22, uh, that's that's a very, I mean, there's so much money being poured in my Uber and Lyft and all these on this. It's. it's I think wild. that's the most controversial one. Is, I feel it's only controversial because it's such a mess. Do you feel there's good? I feel, I'm, I'm so depressed about that one because I do think it's going to pass. Um, it, the polling the polling is really dismal. They just, and, they just bought it. It's so depressing. Yeah. Well, but, but people have to make a values comparison, right? So they're like, okay, 
what do I want more? Like they, if they're like, if this happens, if I vote no on this, then I am saying I don't mind waiting 30 minutes for an Uber. I'm not saying that's the reality. I'm saying this is what's going on in people's heads because I keep yeah. talking to people about Prop 20 or Prop 22, and they're like, they're like, but I'm gonna have to wait too long for my Uber or Lyft, and all these people are gonna lose their jobs who needed them. What am I supposed to do? Are we gonna become London and taxis are gonna be so expensive? And the reality is a few people might lose their jobs, but like we can't, like we, we made the same arguments about minimum wage. Like, oh, every, every small business is gonna have to shutter if we, if we pay people a normal amount of money so that they can survive in this crazy place. But that didn't happen. Well, then also, here's Elf in the room. It's not really the labor wages you're paying, which are the major factor in Uber and Lyft. It's the fact VC money is losing. It's a loss leader. You know, this entire yeah, yes. industry is is fake. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's yeah, going. Yes. I mean, as soon as people realize you cannot lose money on every trip and have this be a sustainable business in the long term, it's going to it's going to die at some point. Yeah, yeah. but but Uber ride. and Lyft see this as they're like these rideshare companies are like they they're they're starting these slow fights in every city. Look at down in L.A. Like they're in constant legal battles with the city of L.A. because they're like we don't want anyone to regulate us. And I, I would say I'll go on the thing. I do not think it's good for democracy to allow Uber and Lyft to just put a constitutional amendment you know in God. no it's it's absurd like it's it's absurd and it's it's a frankly it's a frankly damning like it 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 really is a damning indictment of like our proposition system like this is not a good system when or is a system that at least at the very least needs reform when uber and lyft can literally buy a ballot measure it's um, gross. Can literally buy and fund a, a statewide ballot measure. It's it's incredibly gross. To to the detriment of you have the legislature has already spoken, the judicial branch has already spoken on this issue, and now Uber and Lyft don't like the result, and so they're literally buying an election. And it's like I like I said, it is a stunning and damning indictment of the proposition system itself. Yeah, so strong. That's a so the endorsements is a strong yes on fifteen, strong no on twenty two. Incredibly ugly stuff. Uh, Prop twenty one uh, is the new and improved, uh, slightly compromised, but I'll say also just better written than Prop ten, which uh, I supported, but also I thought it was very, very, very scary. Uh, insofar as how sloppy it was, it may have actually made rent control at the state level illegal. But this is it's a much better written bill this time uh so you know prop 21 uh, is going to uh partially repeal uh costa hawkins going to make a lot of stuff possible for local measures we mentioned the palo alto angle earlier for single family housing you know so stuff's gonna you know so uh and anything to talk about other than the as far as the strong support of 21 goes i mean <laughs> angie you go first <laughs> um i very strong support on 21 but I'm concerned that this is not going to pass. I, I just, I, you know, the amount of money that is being spent is huge. And also the amount of organizing that's happening around it is really slim. I'm just, I'm not seeing, I'm, I'm not seeing people, I'm not seeing people organize around it locally. And I'm, I'm pretty concerned about that in Santa Clara and San Mateo County. There was more energy in a prop 10 two years ago yeah. than there was about this, this time. And Nobody knows this is on the ballot. And let's be honest, most renters. That could be a good thing. It could be, but most renters don't know what Costa Hawkins is. You know, I think you, right. 
it's it's so confusing. It's such a mess. And I worry that like if you put any kind of you shake around the edges, all the you know NIMBY homeowners are going to go against it, and the renters will be confused. A lot of them won't vote. It's the odds are stacked against it. But you know, uh, it's you know hopefully hopefully the the word gets out through the righteous channels, and 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 people do support in 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 good measure because Costa Hawkins extremely ugly state bill. Also this, too. Terrible legislation. Also this, you know, Sacramento can fix it anytime they want, you know? What's up, guys? Like, why why do you allow this? It's not one of these awful constitutional amendments. It's just a bad bill they wrote. You know, why not fix it? Well, and I, I mean, mean, they don't fix it because the California Apartment Association exists in order to fight. Yes, yes. To make sure that it doesn't get fixed. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, you've got legis- you've got Every person who's getting money who... from the California Apartment Association is biased on this. And so, if, and that is the majority of our legislators. Yeah, we talked about how much Uber and Lyft can just buy a constitutional amendment, and the, 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 the landlords, they just, you know, buy senators, assembly people all the time, you know, it's nothing, nothing new, so. Well, and you've got, you know, X number of assembly members, senators, what have you, who are landlords themselves, who, who personally benefit from, oh, from yeah. Costa Hawkins. You know, you've got basically every one of them is is a homeowner who many homeowners see themselves as, you know, temporarily embarrassed landlords. But the thing is, um, so I, I just, I have to say, like, I don't think anyone benefits from this. We do not benefit from consist- consistently having turnover in our communities, having families, having individuals, having our workers. All of these people living with unstable situations benefits no one. And in the long run, cities like Palo Alto that refuse to protect their renters are going to see their school, those amazing schools that are so great. Those are all going to turn down. We are not going to be able to maintain any of this if we don't actually create stability and predictability in people's lives. And I, I think to go on, the, I mean, I think repealing Coastal Hawkins and having better local stuff, that's a good start. I think really what you need is more stuff like a stronger, better, more permanent 1482. We need statewide rent control. Yes. Yeah. I yes. actually think there'd be more, there would be more support for Prop 21 if, if, I know this sounds crazy, but like if it actually enacted real rent control across the state, because people are, you know, there's a whole Twitter thread about the juris, you know, having all these jurisdictions with different levels of protections is super confusing to both renters and landlords. I was canvassing a bit. Yeah, I was canvassing a bit for Prop 10 two years ago in in Sunnyvale and say like, okay, let me explain you, Cost Hawkins. Okay, so once we put, once we do this this year, then you're going to have to fight for it at the city council right. level. And you're, that's going to yes. be tough. That's going to be tough. Probably won't happen anytime soon, but at least it makes it, it is, possible. It's like, that doesn't yes. excite people. <laughs> right. It is It is really hard to sell. It is really hard to sell Costa Hawkins repeal to renters in places that don't have rent control because you're not going to tangibly benefit from this. Like that's, well, and that's even the in places, But even in places with rent control, though, they're going to have to go back and change those policies as well. I mean, like Mountain View is not going to cover single family homes because it was written into yeah. the language. So even places that have rent control will have to go back and say and, and build the political will locally to protect those that like housing composition. And not to. Yeah, yes. I, I mean, to accuse. I mean, I think it came from Los Angeles with, I think, myopia of just saying, like, oh, in Los Angeles, we can get this all fixed. It's like, I don't think you understand the how the rest of the state is going to react to it. You can you really need yeah. to sweeten it more for people across the state. So, 
I think you're right. It wasn't. It, it's not good enough for renters. But you know, it's... well, it's it's sort of ironic because rent control, as we know, is it's a popular policy. Yes. Like polling on rent control shows that rent control itself is a very popular policy. But Prop Ten, you know, went down. I I I think Prop I think Twenty One's chances are are actually much better than Ten's were. But it's still, you know, going to be very very neck and neck. Um, However, like we know that rent control itself is is a popular policy polling wise, and and I do wish that rent control would was actually on the ballot yeah. rather than yeah you know these these sort of technocratic um, tweaks to sort of this bill that allows cities to make technocratic tweaks to their rent control policies if they have them already. Right. Um, I mean, it's like Newsom's. It's like Newsom's eviction moratorium wherein he just said jurisdictions you're allowed to to have an eviction moratorium and then all these renters were like yes we're finally protected thank you Newsom and they were like oh crap nothing happened it's bad I mean this isn't this isn't nothing I don't I don't want to like hand wave this away this is this is actually very important no it is it could it could be a lot better but it's it's very important but it could be better yeah yes and then, I, that's a very good way to characterize it. And then one more note: it just makes my skin crawl. So many people say, like, like, oh, this is going to make the housing crisis worse. Rent control hurts production, and it's being done by people who are across the board. They don't actually care about production. It's a bad faith argument. Listen to people like Pence of Everyone. Listen to people like Angie and Jordan, who I think are you know the the you know some of the very best people about housing production and not these bad faith you know, ghouls. Well, l- listen to Lenny Siegel. There's a great video interview of Lenny Siegel while he was on city council after, you know, I mean, rent control passed and then they approved a ton of housing, like a ton of new housing. And he was like, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I People keep talking about how terrible it is for production, but the data doesn't actually show that. The mo- it's not what the data bears out at all, and it's, yeah. it's incredibly like yeah. When you when you look at Mountain View's numbers, Mountain View like has produced either either as much or more housing, like on a per year basis since rent control you know went into effect. Like, and then I, can I add a Stanford jab here a little bit? Absolutely, always Please do. Um, you know, I think Stanford has done a real disservice because. There are not like there are these studies that have come out of Stanford that say like oh rent control is really bad, yeah. But it's totally biased data too. Like if you go to our cities and then look at the data, it's a different it's a different data set. So Stanford, if anybody from Stanford is listening, I hope you'll go back and reconsider your previous statements around rent control. Yeah. There's so much context and bias and assumptions that go into it. Like to say rent control is bad usually assumes let's assume it's a self-regulating system of housing that has no inputs. Yes. It's like the world doesn't work that way. There are many many inputs that go into housing and it's not self-regulating, not by a long yes. shot. This isn't a vacuum. They Exactly. There there are other policies. I mean, that's one of the sort of more bizarre things about about how rent control studies have been conducted is they're looking at simply rent control and what effect does rent control have without adjusting for the fact that there are other policies that you can enact that would ameliorate any potential negative effects of the policy. Like this isn't 
you know, you only pull this one lever. This is there are a million different levers to pull, and you pull gently on each one and see what happens. I just well, that's why the Casa Compact was such a crucial thing. Oh I mean, yeah, you know, we we only pulled one lever though, and so that's the. I mean, like we we, it's like disappeared that the Casa Compact is no longer being discussed, but we have to keep pulling the other levers. Absolutely, I just it, it's so funny every time any city talks about, uh, you know, uh, doing any sort of rent protection, you get landlords show up and they all read the same line. Like, Paul Krugman says that rent control is very bad for housing protection. Like, you don't care. You're a landlord. Like, this is... Well, and here's the thing. In, in, in Menlo Park a few years ago, two years ago, they looked at a tenant relocation assistance ordinance that was written by their housing commission, and it was great. Um, and it covered single-family home because... I'm like getting too much in the weeds here, but like basically Bellhaven, the low income people of color neighborhood in Menlo Park was at risk for the greatest displacement and it was primarily single family homes. So they were like, we actually have to protect single family homes in order to stop gentrification. So I get to this meeting and there are 22 landlords there to discuss this. And it was like an hour before the meeting was gonna happen. And I went and I sat down and I talked to all 22 of those landlords. And guess what? They were all totally misinformed. And almost all of them left after that. I think two stayed. Wow, nice. Like if you talk to people and you give them the actual information and you don't just fear monger them the way the California Apartment Association does, they're totally reasonable. So we need entryism. We need to take over the CAA and then it'll be good. No, we need to put a couch outside of the California Apartment Association, outside of every single one of those meetings. We just need to sit down with people, sit down with each other, talk about it, actually show them what is being written down instead of like these crazy talking points. All right, I'm off my soapbox. Funny. Uh, okay, one of the weird stuff, I'd say, you know, this is just, it's it's wild, it's dumb. Prop 19, it's this almost the same what happened a few years ago. This is paid for by the realtors. And, you know, it's it's... I don't know. D- just describe what goes on because it's, in my mind, it's it's one of the weirdest. It's a devil's bargain. Yeah, it's it's sort of it's sort of this devil's bargain, and Peninsula for everyone. The other Yimby groups endorsed it. I don't know. I I actually haven't decided on this one yet. It basically, um, it removes a loophole. Uh, not. I mean, it's not a loophole. It's how the law was designed. Um, essentially. Uh, right now in the state of California, if you inherit a property, um, you are allowed to keep that same great Prop 13 tax rate. Uh, if you rent that property out, you still get to keep that same great property tax rate. Um, Prop uh, 19 would change that. It would remove the inheritance uh, loophole if you want to rent your property out. Um, for people who inherit property, they still get to keep that Prop 13, that sweet, sweet Prop 13 assessment. But if they rent it out, they lose it. Yeah. So to, um, be, to be precise, this, this was a separate amendment. Uh, uh, this was Prop 58 in the 80s. And it's not all the property can be inherited, but it's like a certain low digit number, like three or three or something but then you don't have, you could it doesn't have to be primary residence so prop 19 yes. contains a partial prop 58 repeal everything except primary residence so it's better i guess it's better but it also expands prop 13 benefits 
um, in in a way that sort of makes me like nauseous. Um, it it basically uh, has a portability effect wherein homeowners who move can take their Prop 13 benefits with them uh, to a to a new property. It's it's yeah it's they did this without the Prop 58 two years ago it failed. And now they brought it back and sweetened it with Prop 58 repeal to an extent. People say, like, if they didn't do this, the realtors asked for it, and they would have just gone for a straight Prop 58 repeal, uh, the same thing. So in a lot of ways, like, the realtors want this because the portability stuff. And this was my comment two years ago. I think it still stands. I think the outcomes will be partly positive in the short term, but I think it's so evil and weird and confusing and bad, I kind of have to stand against it on principle. Yeah, I think I think that's reasonable. Um, you know, it's it's very much like the uh, the legislative. I think it's the legislative analyst office determined that it would be um, that it would be revenue positive for the state. Um, on, unlike the unlike the tax portability one uh, two years ago, which was like going to cost the state a ton of money. Um, so now, because they've combined it with the uh, with the repeal, uh, you know, with a partial repeal of Prop 58, it's revenue positive. But yeah, I, I still don't love the idea of um, expanding Prop 13 and, and expanding the, um, the the tax portability. I, I think that's just, I think it's weird. I think it's wrong. Um, and the but distribution, I, I, the distribution's weird too, because like in a place where it's like Palo Alto, you'll lose old people, move out, and they'll get a lot more money with new people. But then the places they go to are going to be the losers, which is like, how is that going to work out? A lot of places, like, it, they're going to get this, like, weird, you know, invaders of low assessments going to the community. That's It's a weird dynamic. There are a lot of weird unknowns right now, I think, with that measure. And, and I think there will be side effects that we won't see if it does pass for years, um, which unintended consequences should be the California state motto. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that this is necessarily worth it. Um, I, I'm always in favor of getting rid of pro- like. I I don't know that that the you know I I think it might be a different story if we were getting rid of you know the Prop 13 inheritance provision altogether. Um, but it it does sort of feel like this is giving a lot to get a little, and and I'm not really sure how I feel about it. If you're making the realtors and homeowners happy, something bad must be happening. <laughs> That's like one... I mean, Howard Jarvis is opposed to it, though. So, like, oh, there there is one. that nugget. Like, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association is, is opposed to 19, which is... It's very weird to see them split from the realtors, but, like, it, it is an interesting barometer of, like, what what you know crazy tax freaks like uh john kapal are thinking so it, it sort of muddies the waters a bit for me yeah so okay other stuff you you can read on the thing a lot of stuff is uh other interesting propositions you know it's not a lot of them are like non-housing specific a lot of them can still be very you know good but it's it's not a great system that we have to amend the constitution via de- direct mo- democracy like this all the time it's pretty wild and anything else you want to talk about or you just want to kind of say uh, just read it if you want I, I think that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. I, I think we're we're close to time anyway. So, oh, way, way, way um, over time. But it's it's it's, <laughs> it's a packed election year. Uh, so it's yeah. But uh, both of you, thank you so much for for being here. This is uh, this is a lot to chew on. <laughs> thank Thanks, you, Mark. Mark. Yeah. 
And that was Angie Evans and Jordan Grimes of Peninsula for everyone with the guide to this year's 2020 elections. You can listen to all previous episodes of the show at the website seethecat.org. This is a presentation of KZSU, Stanford 91.5.